to the Family Movie Night podcast, where we want to help your family have better conversations around the content you consume. This is episode 57, and we are getting closer and closer to Christmas Day. Uh, And that means we got to talk about uh, what I think, though it might be one of the most recent Christmas movies to kind of be canonized in uh, classic, kind of got classic status. Uh, I think this might be, for many people, the Christmas movie. Uh, We're talking about Elf. I think this movie has kind of overtaken movies like uh, It's a Wonderful Life, uh, A Christmas Story. Uh, you know, my my dad was a Holiday Inn kind of guy, not Chingy Holiday Inn. I was a Chingy Holiday Inn, right? <laughs> was at the Holiday Inn. All right. Anyway, the only person who chuckles at that joke for me is, of course, the hero of our podcast, Buddy the Elf, the Snoop Dogg to my Chingy. Featuring on, on my holiday in Donnie Dorsey, how are you doing? Going doing good, you know. It's a good dizzle. Yeah. Do you, I know you remember Holiday Inn spelled with oh, yeah. an E instead of a Y. That's right. Like, I mean, it's not it's not a new word unless you add extra letters or take some away. Was that the only Chingy record? That one that had that and right there on it? Yeah, I mean, and then the one call away or something like that. But then, like, oh yeah, Charlie Puth was like, <laughs> I can make people extra sad. Yeah, here you go. <laughs> well, very good, of course. And that leads to someone who may not have been alive when Holiday Inn was recorded. Nah, that's probably not true. He was probably <laughs> like five or six. The villain of our podcast, uh, in this case, James Con's disgruntled uh, father. Sawyer Hewlett, how are you doing today? Good. James Caan's dad is not in this movie. No, I'm saying James Caan as the dad. Oh. James Caan oh, is okay. the dad yeah, in this movie. That. Okay. Yeah. I can live with that. Yeah, I, I like James Caan. Yeah. Yeah, he's very good. Yeah, I don't know who James Caan's dad is. Yeah, I'm going, I don't, I, I, I yeah. Okay, very good. Doing good. And of course, uh, the mom of our podcast trying to rein these boys in. Uh, but most importantly, getting to uh getting to have a pretty this is a top tier mom uh Christmas character yeah, in this movie. For sure. I love Buddy the Elf. He's my favorite. And also my oldest is very much was, especially as a child, very much like Buddy the Elf. Oh, he literally had the bottle of syrup from Cracker Barrel. Those little mini (laughs) bottles. Oh, well, very good. Very good. Yeah. All right. Well, we are going to get into Elf. Normally at this point, I would tell you a description of the movie, but I feel like that is just absolutely a waste of our time. You have seen this movie. You probably love this movie. Uh, and before we get into what we want to talk about, Donnie Dorsey, why don't you tell them what it is we do on this podcast? Absolutely. So on this podcast, we encourage every family and community Christian church to have a monthly movie night to help you and your children build memories and start conversations that matter. The goal of our family ministry is to help you raise your children to love Jesus and his way of life above all other things. And we know that critical to that is for you to have a routine, regular time of connection and shared experiences that will help you build stronger relationships. 
And uh, movie nights are great opportunities to do that because movies are not only an easy way to share laughter and joy and fear and sadness in a safe environment, but they also give us a chance to talk about what matters most to us in ways that are meaningful and memorable with our children. And on this podcast, we want to not only recommend some movies you could watch on your monthly movie night, but give you some ideas of meaningful conversations you can have with your children during or after the movie. And as always, the point of this podcast is not to add one more thing to your to-do list as parents that you will feel guilty about if you don't get to. We just want to make it easier for you and your kids to enjoy being together so that you can build memories and have conversations that matter. So throughout our conversation today, remember, we just want to have fun and help you think through simple and easy ways to share your love of Jesus with your kids. And we think this movie is a great one to do that. Uh, this this one, honestly, to me, uh, very much like when we did Home Alone, uh, feels at first felt like a little bit of a waste of time because for people uh, who are kind of new to the podcast, as we've said, we really have two purposes with this podcast. One is we want to recommend movies that maybe uh, you haven't seen. This movie uh, podcast really kind of started because um, – uh, and we've talked about this on other episodes, so I won't go into it. But one of the reasons I don't think I've talked about enough on this was Donnie and I used to regularly have conversations. Uh, this would have been like 2018, 2019 um, about people saying they couldn't ever find good things to watch on Netflix. You remember this, Donnie? Remember, we would sit we would sit in what was our student room and people would come in and say, oh, man, you guys are always talking about movies. I can't find anything to watch on Netflix. Do you remember this? Yeah, and I was like, I just give him that look, like that side eye that wasn't really like meant to be mean because, you know, we were in a student room, so I didn't want to, you know, throw in a different yeah. vibes. <laughs> yeah, and so we would regularly talk about, honestly, and I do still think this is a problem. I think Netflix algorithm is terrible, uh, and the way it recommends things isn't helpful. And so we would kind of be like regularly just suggesting movies that people hadn't heard. And so part of what I wanted to do on this podcast was help families uh, find things that would be good to watch with their kids, maybe start conversations, as we said. And so it kind of feels silly to spend time saying, like, you should watch Elf. Have you heard of Elf? You know, <laughs> have you heard of this movie called Home Alone? You know, <laughs> so uh, that's part of our deal. Everyone loves Elf. I don't even have to describe this movie to you, but uh, I want to kind of start before we get to what our themes are and just let, uh, instead of saying why you should recommend this movie, like, why should families watch this? Because I think families are already going to be watching this. Uh, why don't we just start? And I'm going to actually let the villain of our podcast start because he suggested we did this last year for all the reasons I just said. I said, no, we're not going to cover that movie. Everyone's already seen that. Why are we talking about it? Uh, literally, we started with Home Alone only because I knew people would watch an episode about Home Alone. So uh, let's say, Sawyer, what is it that you love about Elf? Um, I mean... I, I pretty much, I love everything about this movie. Um, this movie came out, I saw it in theaters. One of my very first theater experiences. Because you had to be like remember. six when this came out? Yeah, I think so. Was this 2003? Yeah. Yeah, I was I was seven by the time this movie came out. And um, this was one of those those theater experiences that I just, this was the first comedy that I saw in theaters. And I was... I was laughing pretty much every single scene. I, I I I was like belly laughing every single scene. And to this day, I belly laugh probably 60% of, of the way through the movie. It is 
such a funny movie. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm going home at Christmas time and this is just going to be one of those movies that we're going to sit down and we're going to watch together. When I was a little kid, this was a movie I would put on in July and we would call it Christmas time in July and we would watch Elf. And, um, this, this is just one of, one of those staple movies. Kind of like you said, it's like one of those classic Christmas movies. Um, and the fact that it's, that it's, uh, 19 years old, uh, is crazy to me but uh alas that's where we're at and it's just it's a great movie i i can't stress enough that this movie is just really fun it's got a lot of heart and it's so funny there, there's so many scenes that i could just talk about and start laughing because it's an excellent 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 movie all right. Well, uh, let's hear from Heidi Cooper. Artie said that uh, her son, who's very similar in age to uh, Sawyer, did you? He also came out in two thousand three. <laughs> yeah. Well, there yeah. you go. So, I feel like it's <laughs> yeah. <a> <laughs> One so, and the same. So talk for a minute about uh, what your love of this movie is. You already talked about you got a little. There's a little bit of mom feelings around it. I'm sure with oh, your yeah. with your son. Like, yeah, history. Yeah, like I used to watch this movie every year when he like got old enough to sit through a movie. Of course, he was watching it with me, and like we just loved it. We would. Um, I have like a video of him like uh, wearing a Christmas box, like just. You know, he was, he is just all about Christmas. He loves this time of year, like loves the like joy of it. And I think like that, you know, kind of is, I mean, he's definitely changed and grown up, but that he still, you know, loves like getting together and seeing everybody and all that. Um, I think for me, like this movie, just, it, it is, I, every time I watch it, I laugh, you know, like I've, I've seen it a million times, but I watch it. I laugh every time. And this last time was the first time that I watched it with my two younger kids and they want to watch it like every day now. And like they're the elevator scene is their favorite or escalator when he's oh, <laughs> when yes. avoiding yeah. the escalator and keeps going. They died laughing at that. And it was just so fun to like watch it with them and see them enjoy all this stuff that, you know, I've been enjoying for almost 20 years. <laughs> that is awesome. I love that. And then of course, buddy, the elf himself, the hero of our podcast, Donnie Dorsey, what is it that you love about Elf? I mean, you know, y'all know I like like comedies and I like to laugh and all that stuff. And I, anything that's like anything that can almost immediately put you in a good mood that can like no matter what's going on, like you could have had the worst day and just like you turn on the movie. And you're like completely forget about it because of the laughter that you get from that. That's a that's a movie I'm always going to like to like to throw on and enjoy. Yeah. I, I I definitely uh, I enjoy this movie now more than I ever have. I think just like Sawyer and Heidi were kind of talking about before. Um, I think and this is something I say to people all the time. I don't think I would have said this when I was younger, uh, but I think the context in which you watch a movie determines what you feel about it. There are no movies. There are no objectively good movies and objectively bad movies. There just aren't. There are movies that you saw and you loved, and there are movies that you saw and you didn't love. Uh, I was 13 when this movie came out uh, and I'm now learning. I always say that teenagers are weird now. I think I must have been weird 
uh, in that I was fully an edgy 13 year old. Like I was very much like Will Ferrell's in a Christmas movie. Oh yeah. Oh, it's PG. Like Will Ferrell. I mean, cause people got to remember Will Ferrell at this point hadn't made, you know, daddy's home or kicking and screaming or anything. He's the, he's the Saturday night live guy. I had been watching Saturday night live every Sunday since I was seven years old. So that's, Probably more <laughs> explains a lot about my life, but like we would always just sit and watch Saturday Night Live. And so like every edgy thing, that was who Will Ferrell was to me. Like Will Ferrell was Alex Trebek uh, on on the Jeopardy sketches. Like he was he was lampooning George W. Bush at the time. Like that's that's who he was for me at 13. And at and also very important to me in two, 2003. In August of 2003, Chingy released Holiday Inn. And so <laughs> I was much more vibing with the Chingy vibe than Elf. And so probably, like, I don't think I even watched Elf until I was maybe 18 or 19. Uh, I think, I don't think I watched it when I was 13. I think it came out. And I was like, mm-mm, Will Ferrell in a kid's movie. I was not a fan of Zoe Deschanel. It took till New Girl that I enjoyed her. I almost didn't go see 500 Days of Summer because she was in it. Uh, she just was that kind of manic pixie dream girl thing. Didn't work for me. I love her in New Girl. So this movie had all the reasons for me not to. So I have for a long time had a bad taste in my mouth about this movie. Nothing about the movie itself. It's just I cannot divorce my feelings of the movie from the age I was when the movie came out. Uh mm -hmm. But now that I have kids and have watched it several times with them, it is a movie that I just really enjoy because of how sweet it is. It is a really sweet uh, movie. And I think that's honestly the best thing I, I can say about it is there aren't a lot of movies that are this um, genuinely, um, and this will get to what we're talking about, but almost naive and childlike. Like this movie, I mean, we're not going to get into anything. I will say this, this spoiler warning. If you're watching or listening with your kids, I won't go deep in this. The way this movie handles uh, the big red man makes is so confusing to me. Uh, but it's because it's from a childlike perspective. Like the more you think about the finale of this movie and about uh, about the the Santa O meter. <laughs> the less it makes sense. But that's because it's coming from a childlike perspective. And I don't mean that as a criticism. I mean that as I think that's sweet. I think you're not supposed to think about any of it like a kid. But Nathan at 13, 18, that's all I could think about. With, this movie makes no sense. How's that? How does that work? <laughs> Explain it to me. <laughs> so I would say I think this movie is very funny, very sweet. Has an all-star cast. I don't think anyone's mentioned that yet. I mean, just knocking it out of the park. Kyle Gass and um, Andy, um, oh, what's his fake name um, from the Conan O'Brien show as the writers. Um, I'll think of it in a second. But uh, they are just apt. Every time they're on screen, they kill it. And you can't get past James Conn being absolutely wonderful. So uh, I don't, none of us have to recommend this movie to you. It's a great movie. Uh, you're already watching it. So the question is, what are good takeaways from this movie? Because I would say by and large, the number one takeaway is, uh, and we've talked about this before and I want us a chance to have this is, this is just a movie to watch and have a good memories with your kids. And that on, on its own is a good enough reason. Like just to, as Heidi already kind of said, and you already heard her say, like the kind of nostalgia she has around it. Sawyer kind of mentioned, uh, you know, his family, this just being like a, 
this is he when he feel when he thinks about this movie. I mean, is this fair, Sawyer? I'll let you talk about it. But when you think about this movie, you can't just as I can't divorce this movie's feelings from the way I felt when I was 13, you also can't divorce it from thinking about your family. Oh, 100 percent I think like, and I think that's actually like I think something that the movie taps into a little bit. Like, you know, Buddy has this longing. The main character, Buddy, has this longing for his family. And it's a very messy situation. And yet he can't avoid it is the thing. And I think I think the movie is very much about figuring out how to deal with these messy families and stuff like that. Um, yeah. and, and, and Buddy is going to do that. And he's not going to, you know, the main redemption that happens is with the dad character, the James Conn character. Because he doesn't want to deal with the mess of his family. And Buddy is like, I'm not going to let you ignore that. That's the main conflict in the movie. If you want to go all analytical on this movie, the main conflict is Buddy is like, no, we're going to deal with the problems. And James Conn is like, I'm not going to deal with it. No, like get out of my, like he, there's the big sad part is when James Conn screams and get out of my life and stuff like that um it's uh it's a dramatic moment but uh it it's um i i think that's that's kind of what this movie's all about you know like this relentless optimism versus the adverse so yeah so i think this movie and i here's where i think and i i've said we've said this before the reason movies are so powerful to build memories um is and i don't remember where i saw this research um but i was in college the first time i'd heard about it which is you are more likely to remember something if you had a high emotion, whether it be sadness, fear, or uh, or laughter. If you can have an emotion with it, you will remember the fact. So I used to have a professor that would make us, in order to learn the facts for a test, he would have us get up and we would play uh, Jeopardy to do it, but he made everyone in the class do it because he said – you're either going to really enjoy this and laugh or you will be so terrified of having to get up in front of people. He goes, the point is you will remember this experience. And he wasn't wrong. <laughs> like I enjoyed it. I don't mind being up in front of people, but there were people who were like, Oh my gosh, I got to stand up in class and talk. But he, but his test scores were always super high. Cause he said the emotion of it will and movies by their nature, they're emotion machines. They're empathy machines. They will make you laugh. They will make you cry. They will make you, uh, they will make you scared, right? They could make you angry about some injustice, like all of those things. And it doesn't matter what the movie is, because what I think is funny is the movie that does this for Sawyer is Elf. The movie that does this for me is the pretty raunchy PG-13, uh, could be considered an R-rated movie, Scrooged, which we watched uh, from the time I was seven until uh, the time, I mean, until I graduated. This is what we watched every Christmas Eve. Like, there's a pretty raunchy thing. That movie itself is not a very sweet movie, but I have very nostalgic feelings because I remember Christmas Eve watching that with my family, and I watch it still every year because it's so emotional for me. So it doesn't matter what the movie is you pick to do it with. You will have those feelings of this. The, the, creating those moments in your family are vital. So that's one thing we just wanted to say about this. This movie enough could just be the movie you and your family watch every year. As Heidi already said, Sawyer already said, could be just a moment for that. But there is another part, and this is kind of what Sawyer already teed up a little bit. We think this movie, what is so special about it is 
Uh, and I like the way that you said it. So your relentless optimism of Buddy the Elf. Uh, it is he is uh, almost naive from it from an adult point of view about the way that he interacts with the world because uh, Buddy believes the best about everybody. Buddy goes into almost dangerous situations believing the best about every person. Right? Uh, he is sweet. Right? He is generous. He is kind, just like a child would be uh, in every situation. And what we want to talk about is there is a way that when a child does that, everyone thinks it's cute and sweet. But what everyone knows is that's going to go away at some point. And that's why it's cute and sweet. One day they'll deal with the real world and they can't be that cute and sweet anymore. It's fine now because they're safe and protected. But there is a way to say that is a little bit the way that. Um, Christ interacted in the world. Yep. Christ was relentlessly uh, optimistic uh, and not on the level of Buddy the Elf who wants to, who probably is ignoring every bad thing that is happening, right? His version of relentless optimism is there's nothing bad happening in the world. That is naive. Christ did not have a naive relentless optimism because Christ was very much aware of the injustice going on to the poor right? To people who were outcast, all those kind of things. And we even see that he's angry about that kind of injustice. But with all of that, he always knew uh, my father's in control. My father is generous and he is always working for good. And so Christ had joy and he had peace. And so I don't think the question of this movie, and this is what I want to talk about, is not how do we teach our kids to be relentlessly optimistic? Because if you've got young kids in the house, they are relentlessly optimistic. It's just part of it. I think the question of this movie is how do we create households where we contain the optimism, the hope, the joy, the peace of Christ's kingdom in a world that tells us, and especially if you've got teenagers, they're starting to hear this. If you're not angry, you're not paying attention. There's so many bad things going on in the world. You have to be outraged. You have to be angry. Right. Everyone's so offended. You got to be offended. Right. Where there's so many things going on. You got to have anxiety. You got to be freaked out. You got to be scared. And anyone who's not, anyone who tells you, well, I trust God, they're naive, right? They're not really thinking it through. How do we create households that really do trust, that can have joy, that can have hope, because we really do trust that God is in control? And our point, and this is now where I want to turn it over to my co-host here, is that this has to start with the parents because kids are the ones who are relentlessly optimistic. But I will say this, and I don't want to just, because it actually frustrates me some how much we kind of like treat children as if they are gods unto themselves. Children are relentlessly optimistic because they're naive, because they don't know things. Kids, it is not relentlessly optimistic to stand in the middle of the street and go, well, no car will ever hit me. That's naive. They don't know how the world works. It's easy to be relentlessly optimistic when you're Buddy the Elf and you don't know how things work. It is difficult to be relentlessly optimistic when you are the son of God and know all things in people's hearts and still choose to say, I'm going to believe the best. I'm going to love. I'm going to serve. I'm going to be joyful. So the parents are the ones who have had all the experiences to tell them this world is a dangerous, unsafe, mean ugly place. How do we as parents be joyful like Christ? So let's open on that. Uh, anybody want to start? 
Heidi raised her hand very politely, <laughs> raised one finger. So Heidi's going to start. Um, I'm still learning podcast etiquette. I'm kind of kind of behind the times on that stuff. Um, no, I think uh, the first thing that I thought of as you were talking about that is, you know, um, when you were talking about Jesus knows the hearts of man, he knows what, you know, the people are thinking when they're talking to him and the words that they're, you know, constructing with their, you know, little feeble minds to him. That's what it would look like. I I see what you're doing there. And I think, um, I think the thing that I've kind of, two things that I thought of was like, one is that he, he sees, he saw us, or I believe God sees us as almost like parents look at their kids, you know, like, so he sees the, the evil that we do grieves him. However, you can't look at your child and not love them. You can be so disappointed in their behavior. You can be just, you know, wrought with fear over what it might, you know, bring about or whatever, but but you still, you still love them. And I think that's kind of the way that we, if we can try to teach our kids, obviously you're, you're not going to feel that sense of love towards everybody that you meet in your life. However, you can try to keep that in the forefront of your thoughts, that that's how God sees them. And he wants me to see him the same. He doesn't want me to look at them and see all the evil. He wants me to look at them and see his child who he loves dearly. So I think that is part of it. But I think another, another thing you said made me think, um, uh, I try to remind my kids that just because something disappointing or, you know, um, maybe frustrating or sad happened, we, as long as we have time, then we, as long as we're living, then the story isn't done. So God tells us in his word that all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose and those who love him. And um, I probably botched that verse, but you guys know what I mean. It's good. No, you're you're, you're good. And uh, I, I think if we can try to remember that, then we live in a state of, well, the story's not over, you know, like I I can remember the most devastating times of my life. And when I focused on this isn't over, there's more to this story, then everything just looks a little different, you know? Yeah. Well, and I think the thing you said there, that's really huge. um, Heidi is um, the part about that Romans eight verse of all things working together. Um, That is our motivation to help the problems in this world is that we believe God is working all things together. And part of the way God works things out is he motivates people like us. And I, and, and this is one of the most frustrating things I see. Um, and I mean, frustrating, not angry, uh, frustrating. It's just when you see someone banging their head against the wall on the same problem, our, our generation, I'm talking about primarily millennials, Gen Xers, even baby boomers, um, parents and grandparents. Um, we think anger <laughs> is the appropriate response and it is the motivating thing that 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 leads to justice right yeah. so if there's injustice in the world the way that i should approach that is to be angry and that'll motivate me to do something but as dallas willard says and i think he's 100% right anything that you can do in anger could be done better without it 
Yeah. Anything that you could do in anger. The reason. Yeah, absolutely. And, and sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say the reason that we, we work towards justice is because of love, not because of anger. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that we don't feel anger. I want to be clear. Everyone feels anger. Anger is the appropriate feeling to injustice. It is not the, the appropriate motivation for justice. The appropriate motive that as what Heidi said, which I think is true is that God is the God who loves the abused and he feels angry on their part for the abuse. Yeah. But, and this is the part none of us want to deal with. He also loves the abuser. Mm -hmm. He loves yeah. the abuser. He loves the oppressor. Doesn't mean he is working. He is working on their side. I'm not trying to say any of that, but he loves both people and yeah. what he realizes. And I think parents are maybe the only people that have experienced this part. When I see one of my children attacking one of my other children, I know the complex feeling of loving both people, but being angry at one of them. Yeah, mm -hmm. because I look at one of my children and I go, how could you hurt your sister like this? Because yeah. I want justice, but I love them both because in that moment, my reason for disciplining is not because I'm angry at the one who attacked. It's because I love them and I want what's best for them. Um, Heidi was going to say something. Then Donnie, I want to come to you because it looks like you want to say something, too. So, Heidi. Yeah, yeah I was just going to say and like to to take it a little like a, a little bit further when when I say all things work together for good, and I bring up that verse in this context, it's that that doesn't mean that we're always going to see the good. Like sure. we're, we're not guaranteed that we are going to look at that and see good. We're not guaranteed. What we're guaranteed is that we will see trouble that will experience yes. trouble, but that we know that he is working all things together for good. And, yes. and so, I mean, you look at the story of Jesus. And so when, when it doesn't feel good, when it doesn't look good, when nothing about this, you know, is like, oh yeah, all things are working together for good. You still have a trust that, that it is for good and that we may never see the, the full, you know, see it come full circle to where we can look at it and recognize good. That doesn't mean it's not going to happen or isn't already, you know? I think that yes. was kind of the point I wanted to make on that. No, I think that's, yeah, I think that's very good. And I think helping our kids to see that. And uh, right before I come to you on here, Donnie, I just want to add this. So here's a practice I think every parent can do. When something sad happens, you've got to be able to do both parts. Deal with the feeling they have that's sad or angry or scared. Don't just ignore it. We're not teaching you to be naive about it. Deal with it. But what a lot of us do is one of the two. We either avoid it, we just look at the positive, or we just sit with the negative because I want you to feel heard. I want you to feel seen. And I just sit with your negative feeling. But our job as a child, our job as parents is not to just hear our kids. It is to guide them. And so there it's that Mr. Rogers mom always said to him, he always says is when something bad happens, look for the helpers, look for the people who are helping, look for the people who are doing that's good parenting. Yes. I know you're scared. Yes. I know you're sad. Or even if it's just something in their own life. Yes. I know grandma just passed away or yes, I know this. And that's really sad, but let's look at all the blessings. Let's remember all the good times. Let's do this. It's, it's bringing them back to joy, bringing them back to hope. Donnie, what were you going to say? Yeah, I mean, kind of, <clears throat> kind of going with like Heidi was talking about, like it's definitely the idea of, I think the idea is that when we go through storms, we forget the storm's end. 
the storms eventually yes. do pass, like that they're not always going to be there. And like, I was just thinking about it from like the whole like childlike wonder and like the peace and things like that. I think as parents, we have to stop putting our cynicism on our children because sure. of the things that have happened in our past, because what ends up happening is we start changing their childlike vision of what the world can actually be. Because when we we need to help them to understand things at an age appropriate level we often tell them things because we're afraid that if they don't know it at that exact moment that something we we fear something will happen instead yes. of giving them that appropriate conversation of going hey look i know this happened and you weren't ready for this validating that their feelings are that they matter and like being sad or whatever emotion is feel that for a moment but don't sit in that. Don't stay there like in that forever moment. Cause like I was thinking like in that context too, is that, you know, when Jesus talks about like to become like little children, he's not mm. talking about being naive. He's talking about being like tender. He's talking about being open with your emotions and your feelings, like being creative, being, seeing things as wonderful, seeing hope, like trusting, finding forgiveness, even when it doesn't seem like it should be there. And I think that's a cool thing you see in this movie is that, yes, there's that naivety, but we want to put in our children that idea of, yes, the world is rough, but you have someone on your side at all times. It's your mother and I, and it's also Jesus. He's standing there right beside you in the storm. And like, there's a reason why there's a difference between what people think peace is and what peace actually is like peace isn't like, oh, I'm going to be sitting in a corner so happy with everything going on and complete silence and blah, blah, blah. No, yeah. it's it's the sitting in a boat where there's a horrible storm happening and you're laying in the bottom of the boat and you're yeah. asleep. Yeah, that's peace because it's that peace that's like when you're under pressure that you still have it like like anybody can have peace when nothing is going wrong. But mm -hmm. it's having that peace and teaching our kids how to handle situations and seeing that even like what what, he, what Heidi was talking about, God is still working. God didn't stop working because bad things or difficult things happen. God is still in the, in, in movement. It's that we're often, we often are out of step with him because yes. we start focusing on the fears. And so focusing on the, the issues and not going, you know what, this is not, a great moment and i am not happy in this moment but i do know that jesus said that he would be with us and that the holy spirit would be in in us as we went through every moment that we did you know so. yeah well and i think a lot of what you're saying there you know i think about the story you tell about jesus calming the storm right so jesus is, there's a big storm going on jesus is sleeping in the back of the boat and the disciples come to him and say um, i was going to read the exact quote they say teacher don't you care if we drown Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Because you're sleeping. That clearly shows you don't care. Because if yep. you were paying attention, you'd be angry. Or if you were paying attention, you'd be scared. And it's as if, and I think it's one of those times where all of us go to God and we're like, you know, I'm a little smarter than you. I guess you don't know storms are scary. I guess you don't know injustice is bad. Yeah. I guess you don't know X, Y, and Z. I guess you don't know that what the Republicans are doing or what the Democrats are doing is destroying this country. I guess you haven't been paying attention. I guess no. you haven't been paying attention. And Jesus goes, I know more than you do. And there is a level, and you've talked about cynicism to some degree, Donnie, and I think you're right. I think there is a way in which the most cynical people, maybe even the most fearful people, 
uh, or I'll say it this way because this is the more well, I would, the more cautious people are the wise people. That if if you are the one to say, well, maybe, or what if, then you're the smarter person in the room. Here's what I mean. If you're in a meeting and you're discussing an idea or someone else comes in, whoever is the person who goes, well, have you thought about, they're the ones that instantly everyone goes, oh, well, they must be the most wise. The person who goes, hey, we should really be afraid of this. Hey, we should really be of looking out for this because we need to be cautious. We need to do this. And I'm not saying there's no place for that, but the Bible teaches, and this is important. There's a difference between fear and wisdom. Yep. That wisdom or anger and wisdom, the person who's like, you know what? I really see what's going on in the world. I'm, I'm awake to all the problems. No one else sees it. I'm the one that's angry because you're not angry. You're not paying attention. They, it seems like, wow, that person's really informed. Wow, that person is real. They really must know, and I may not know. Wisdom is the ability to discern between information and see the reality of what's going on. Because if a person came to me and goes, "Well, what if, what if while you're cooking bacon, the grease jumps out of the pan, pops up, and sets the kitchen on fire?" Because you know what, I read that actually happens sometimes. Yeah, you're right. That has occasionally happened. That does not make you wise if you go from now on, I will never cook bacon. Because sometimes, and in the smallest percentage of cases, you're not the most wise person because you have figured out sometimes a bad thing happens. Yeah. The wise person is the person who's able to look. So I think, and, and be able to say, let's make proper precautions that exactly. are appropriate to the risk that's involved. And that's a big, that's a big deal. I remember before when, when we had our very first daughter, Steve Clark said to me, Nathan, I hope that you don't use fear language with your kids. And I said, what is fear language? He said, be careful to not say, Hey, be careful. Hey, please, please be careful. You know, it's, it's icy out the deer, the deer are out when you're driving, because what you're teaching your kids is there is danger around every corner. This world is a dangerous place and you need to be vigilant. And I don't know if you guys are I've seen this, but a lot, I see this on TikTok a lot now. Um, people are trying to now counsel people who are hyper vigilant. They live in a state of hyper vigilance. Uh, and it's not people who who have it's it's the effect of having PTSD without any trauma related to it. You are just constantly vigilant of dangers around, troubles around. I need to be scared. And it's because there is a way in which we teach our children and it's not it, no one ever sat down and said this world is a dangerous place and you need to be afraid they caught that no one taught it they caught it yeah they caught mom's always scared of everything dad's always scared of everything they they want me to be scared so that's one thing but i want to kind of get off fear because we kind of talked about that i think the biggest thing that that buddy the elf brings is that he believes the best in people yep buddy lives without judgment and I think one of the biggest things we can do as parents is to help our kids live without it. And so here's here's the the current one because we've been in it. Political ads are all over the TV. Mm -hmm. And regularly, my kids will go, so is that man a bad man? Is that man a bad man? Why would anyone vote for that man? They said he did this. And then a different political ad comes on. Well, he's even worse than the last guy. Who would vote for that person? And I, I try my best to be as careful as I can. And the first thing I say is, I don't know if that man's a bad man. I've never met that man. 
And anyone can get on TV and say anything they want about anybody. I don't know because I've never met him. And then the other side of it is, why wouldn't anyone vote for him? And I try as a way to help teach him. Well, some people think this, this way. Well, why would they think this way? I actually don't know. You'd have to meet people and ask them questions to be able to know. Because there is a way when you see a Republican ad and it comes up and you see a thing that and people come on and go, if if I am not on the right, I go, well, you know what? They don't care about poor people. They don't care about people who X, Y, and Z. And people who just don't, that's who votes this way. You don't have to care about this. Or if you're on the other side and they're more left-leaning, they don't care about God's law. They don't care about morality. They just do whatever they want. They want to give things away. And you try to come up with the most critical account of the people who aren't you. Yeah, it's and, funny. Okay. I had a conversation, interestingly enough, with my with my daughter yesterday. Um, we were talking about like if something happens, like say for instance, someone stole something and they didn't bring it back. And her immediate response was, I would punch them. I was like, whoa. I was like, why? She's like, because they did something wrong. I was like, okay. But let's, and I, and I paused for a second. I said, think about this. I said, look at the opportunities. And I gave the example of Jesus at the well with the Samaritan woman. I said, look, everyone didn't like them. Jesus is standing at this well. You know, the disciples are off in town. And this woman walks up. She's like, oh, and he knows her story. He knows all the stuff going on. He knows everything that she's done, where she's been. But he didn't go, <laughs> you is a terrible child. I, get out of my face. What he did was he welcomed her. He started with love. He started with a conversation. He started to get to know her through her conversation and words. Well, and you know what he did was he asked questions. Exactly. He asked questions. He didn't start with what he knew about her. Exactly. He started with, go get your husband. He didn't say, I'm not going to tell you, go get your husband. Cause I know, I know what's going on. Yep. He's giving her the chance to, to come into the situation, to ask questions, to draw the person in. And so here's the, here's, and cause I always want to get to practices as a parent. The best thing I think we can do is to not answer every question and to tell them, well, go ask, go find yeah. out. So you see a person, they're from a different culture. They've got a head covering. Why do they wear that? Why are they? Why are they doing that? Instead of going, you know what? I don't know. You know what? Or and you you go into whatever your reasoning is on any side of why a person looks different. What if you said, I don't know? You want to go ask them? Yep, that's the most go- powerful thing. That's so powerful because people, as parents, I know. Growing up, I had a lot of adults that did not say I don't know. Mm-hmm. And they would just give me answers that they had either experienced or thought they experienced or thought they knew. That is the most powerful thing. I would rather someone tell me I don't know than give me some made up or convoluted answer. Like you yeah. said, like going to them and saying, hey, well, why do they wear that? Go ask them. Ask yeah. questions because it's that idea that, hey, I'm going to tell you what you think. Or I can let you understand the world and I can be there to help guide you and give you these opportunities. Like in. It's just, that's such a, like, that That just, like, resonated with me because I'm like, too many people say, I, people too many people are afraid to say, I don't know. Well, and I think it's not even just afraid. I don't even think saying I don't know is the hard part. The hard part is then going and asking a stranger a question. Yeah. The hard part is then going over to someone and you're afraid you're going to be culturally insensitive. And you're afraid that these going to be things. But anyone who asks a question in a genuinely gracious way, 
Hey, tell me about, tell me about, I, I hear your accent. Tell, tell me a little about what's going on. And it's not in a, uh, it's not in a uh, uh, aggressive way. It's not in a judgmental way, especially when it's a child. I, I was just about to ask Heidi, what's going on with your dog? Cause he just unmuted you. <laughs> he did. He had something to say. <laughs> anyway, I think being able to teach our kids, so even small things. Why did so-and-so not come to Thanksgiving? Well, you know them. You know what their deal is. I don't know. Maybe we should ask them. Because what you're teaching your kid is when you don't know something, don't fill in the blank about this person. You don't know everything. Jesus knew what was in the hearts of people. We don't. Yeah. And the best way to be judgment-free is to assume even this person who did a bad thing, they have a story that I may not know. And so, so the easiest way to love them is to assume or to believe the best, not to assume the worst, but to believe the best. And I think the way that we do that is we model it. So someone cuts you off in traffic, they're not an idiot. You don't know them. You don't know them. You got to be careful what you say in the car. Everyone else is not an idiot, right? I, I watched so the, one, one thing I wanted to add, like um, what I'll do in with my kids in situations, because I'm a big question advocate. So I kind of have that. Um, that practice in place, but when there's situations where the question is, you can't ask the questions is I'll say, or they are jumping to a conclusion already. I try to sure. remind them, we don't have all the information. Um, so your example, traffic, like somebody cuts you off, like, oh, I can get mad. I can overreact to that, but I don't have all the information. I have no idea what's going on in that person's life. I'm going to assume that they're the kind of person who cuts everybody off, but it could be that the person in the you know back seat is sick and they're trying to get them to the hospital or something like that. You know, I don't know anything about their lives, but I can, and I'm not going to, but I can choose to assume the worst or I can choose to assume the best. And I think that when we don't or can't, get all the information that we just, we have to make a conscious choice. You know, you're talking about wisdom earlier and it is knowing, and it's also still choosing to know that you don't have all the information and you are going to assume and, and, and wait until you are, you know, confirmed a different way, you know, like cynicism comes from fear. It comes from, you know, I'm a very, I've, tend to be a very cynical person, but I realized that that was me essentially putting up like protective barriers around myself, you know, all those yeah. fears, all those anxieties, all those apprehensions, the smartest person in the room, whatever, you know, cause they think of all of the, you know, the analytical types of things that other people might not even waste time thinking about, but that doesn't, that those things don't change ultimately, <laughs> like there's so little that you can actually control. And so to in situations where you can choose to get angry or you can choose to say, we don't even have all the information. We're jumping to some conclusions here about this person or about this situation. And we don't even know them, you know, <laughs> don't know all the information. So I think that's another kind of step that we can take as parents to just remind ourselves and them that oftentimes we don't know everything there is to know about it, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, and I think, so to kind of wrap it up, I think the things that we want to be able to lead our children to is to be um, joyful and loving. And the things that really lead to, to, to that not happening is to objectify people. And we tend to think of objectification as something that only happens with like lust and sexuality, but it's, it's what happens with contempt. 
when I choose to judge a person and decide I know everything I need to know about you from what you post on social media or who you voted for or or the way that you wear your clothes or the way I've seen you talk to people or whatever. Uh, but for us to be like the God who loves, as we've said, both the both the victim and is angry about what happened to the victim, but also does love and have and want good and want the reforming of the person who victimized the victim. Uh, we have to be able to be people who choose to say, uh, I will not judge you. I will not hold you in contempt no matter what you've done, no matter who you are. I will love you. Uh, and I will not approach every situation with fear because fear does not lead me towards love. It does not lead me to, to be the kind of person, but perfect love drives out fear. And that's what we want to teach our kids. But the truth is you talking to your kids about it won't matter because the way, what matters is what gets caught. It is what they see you do. That is who they will become. Uh, they will either become a reaction and a push away. I will not be like my mom. I will not be like my dad. Or they will, they will emulate you even if they can't help it. Uh, and so we want to help our kids emulate Jesus uh, by imitating us. And uh, so I hope you guys will join us next week when we talk about a very, this is a very special episode for Christmas uh, of the Family Movie Night podcast. We'll talk about that next time.